Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm your hillbilly host, John. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not John. You're John. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of This is Not Church. I am one of your two hosts. Can you believe that? You get two hosts for the price of one. Two hosts for your entry fee of exactly zero dollars. So I'm actually not sure if you're getting a good deal or not. But I'm Nat. My brother John is uh, in his basement or something in Northern California. I don't know. It looks like a basement. I know you don't have a basement, but it looks like one. Say hi, John. What's up? Hi, John. <laughs> uh, we are joined today by our guest. This is Ben DeLong. Hope, tell me if I said that right. Yep, that's right. Okay, I almost was like DeLong. It could be anything, man. It could be DeLong. I know. So this is uh, this is Ben DeLong. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'm I'm particularly uh, apparently uh, chippy today. Is it chippy or chirpy or something? Oh, right. why. We know why. Wait, you're a little we, upset. You're a little upset. I'm not upset. I, I'm should very we, I'm very proud just, of my 49ers. They did a good job. Um, G, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo sucks. Okay, that's all there is to it. But if we're being honest, dude. Did anyone even have them making the playoffs midway through the season? No. Yeah, probably and they not. still and they still barely get edged out by the Rams. So I, I'm proud of them. They did a good job. Hey, the bigger news is that we were one step away from a Cincinnati Niners rematch. Yeah, which I thought would have been amazing. But go yeah. Bengals, go Joe Burrow. That was a phenomenal game. Anyway, we're off the rails. And by the time this airs, football season will be well in the rearview mirror. And they'll be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? <laughs> so uh, let, me, let me read you a little bit about Ben, and we're going to get into a conversation with him and see what's up. So Ben is the author of Becoming Home, and there's a God in my closet. And he's also the host of the Whole Thing podcast. He grew up in Northern California, where his father's a pastor. His parents and his three sisters are a huge support and encouragement to him. Uh, so the, the winters in Iowa were brutally cold, apparently. And he lived in, he has lived in Northern California for almost 10 years. Now, somehow his body is acclimated and he thinks it's freezing when it's 40 degrees out now. I understand that feeling, by the way. <laughs> I absolutely, I do too. Um, absolutely do. Uh, he went to college outside of Kansas City to study ministry and followed that by attending a nearby seminary. Uh, he eventually became a pastor for five years before realizing it was a coping mechanism to deal with childhood pain. He gave up pastoral ministry to focus on becoming an author. Uh, he met his amazing wife, Irene, in college. They got married after their junior year, and they've been together for over 16 years. She's a native Californian and has been such an incredible blessing in his life. Uh, they live with their wonderful son, Michael, in Northern California, Ukiah, apparently, to be precise. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll bleep that out so people don't come find you. But Ukiah is a <laughs> tiny... It's so amazing that, uh, that John and I grew up not far from Ukiah. I mean, that's uh, most people would look at you and you say that and go, okay, where the hell is that? I know. But we exactly. know exactly where that is. So <laughs> anyway, welcome to the podcast, Ben. What's up, man? Uh, not much. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So, so this has nothing to do with what we're going to continue to talk about, but I am, I am curious about Ukiah. Is that, was that home originally? Did you kind of go back home or is, is this something new for y'all? It was new when we got here. I mean, we've been here for almost 10 years now, but this, oh, okay. this, we, we moved here for me. This was like me to become a pastor. This is where I took my first church. Oh, okay. And then pastored here for about five years and then tried a year of like church planting and then just realized it wasn't for me. So, yeah, no, I get that. So did you, did you take that pastorship like immediately out of seminary, out of college? Um, no, I, I had some, uh, some diversions along the way. I went to college, went to seminary. I took a year off cause I just wasn't really sure where I was. And then I went back 
And then I took a couple of years because I, I knew I would be bivocational um, and my dad was, but my dad never, um, he didn't have any formal training for other jobs. So he just kind of took, you know, jobs where he got like not very good pay. Right. And so I, I went to school, went back to school to be a teacher that didn't work out. And then I went back to school to work in IT, which is what I'm doing now. Oh, okay. If you wouldn't mind, could you expand on that? That that one part in your um, in your bio that really intrigued me was leaving the ministry because you realized that being in the ministry was a was a was a mechanism for dealing with childhood pain. You, uh, do yeah. you mind elaborating on that a little bit because that's actually a that's an interesting point. Yeah, probably about uh, four years ago. I just, I mean, it really started with me really digging deeper into myself, um, doing spiritual direction, and going to therapy, and just starting to be honest with myself that that ministry just didn't feel right. And I, I was also starting to realize just how um, how much childhood pain I had from from church life um, as with my dad growing up, my dad being a pastor growing up and and then just realizing that becoming a pastor was kind of like my way to like, okay, well, this, my faith isn't working. So maybe if I, maybe if I go deeper, it'll work. <laughs> you <Right>. know? And, <laughs> and also like when I was a teenager, I tried to find healing for a lot of my, my pain inside by try, trying to find a girl that would love me and think I was special. And church was kind of part of that. It was like another facet of that. Like maybe, maybe if I can feel special doing this, maybe that'll fix stuff. No, I get that. I mean, that, that's a, I was just talking to someone the other day about the reason that I started kind of going back to church a little bit in my teen years was there were girls at youth group. Exactly. And so, and <laughs> yeah, that, was, yeah. that was, you know what I mean? It was really very little. And when I, when I said that, they're like, was there, was there not something more? No, no, there, well, there was free food also. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. There was, there was pizza and there was girls. Okay, I can put up with your religious bullshit for a little bit so I can get to the free pizza and the girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, I think Nat and I are at the, the at the beginning of what would become the purity culture, right? And the purity movement, or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Ned, do you, I mean, do you remember having like the? We didn't have like the the promise rings or whatever no, the no, hell they no. had, and we didn't have the. Uh, I mean, they they might have given us like a straight up chastity belt. I mean, that might have come out, but it was already there, right? There was already this like, hey, you got to find yourself a good Christian wife who will um, make you a better man. And also uh, because, a sandwich. Right, and, and a sandwich, right. And they will, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll take care of you. They'll take care of the home. At some point, they'll take care of your kids because this is the, this is the order, right? This is how things are going to go. Is you're going to find a good, a good Christian woman. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. And then you're going to, she's going to create a, a safe and, you know, loving home. And you're going to go off and do whatever job you do. And, uh, is that some of the, uh, the the pain or the childhood pain you're talking about? I mean, obviously there's more and I'm, I'm kind of just glossing over some, but I mean, this idea that you had to fit into this mold, right? Because I, I can only speak for myself. I ended up not fitting into that mold at all. Not even close. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was definitely trying to fit into a mold. One of the things that that was most painful for me as a kid was just just being a regular rambunctious boy and um and in the process kind of damaging a little bit the the home that we were living in which happened to be the parsonage and owned by the church <laughs> and and my dad didn't really have the emotional skills to kind of deal with his own stuff and so yeah. you know he was like well shit this is this could 
cost me, you know, what if the church gets mad and this cost me my job? And he projected that onto me. And so I was like a little six year old boy. I'm like, dang, if I don't shape up, like I could cost everything for my family. Yeah. And so like, pressure, man. yeah. And so like from a very young age, it was like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta fit in to, to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that, that's what I, you know, that's what I tried to do. And, and, and that's why it's been, Leaving the ministry has been a really hard for me. I'm I'm blanking on her name, but the the last uh, podcast interview you guys released, she was talking about how her her image of God was never tied to like the the structural church, right? Mine was, and so for for me to for me to step out of ministry, and um, I haven't been connected with the denomination of my youth for a while, and and my wife and I. Have recently just kind of just kind of been admitting to ourselves that going to a church on Sunday morning and doing the regular churchy stuff just doesn't make sense to us anymore. Christ makes sense, you know. Relationships make sense, like that that stuff we we still want, but the 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 way that we were raised to do church just doesn't really speak to us anymore. And then to add all to that level, I mean, being a PK, you know, being a pastor's kid, I'm sure it's just. I mean, Nat and I don't have that kind of connection, but we we. Nat and I were raised in church, so some of some of the times the pastor's kid was one of our friends. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole l- different level of attitude that came with being the pastor's kid. Sometimes yeah. good, sometimes bad, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You had to toe the line. You had to be quiet. I'm sure. You know, I'm projecting what I know of my friends who are pastors' kids on you. So correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. But you know, in church, you had to behave. You had to be quiet. You know, when you're supposed to be quiet. Speak when you're spoken to. Don't don't speak out of turn. Definitely don't be the one that gets caught doing something wrong, either either at the church or outside the church. And that's got to be a whole level of trauma that you know the, us who weren't in that kind of connection just just will never understand. That yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely a little more extreme. I mean, you're you're basically a little ambassador for for, right. for your pastoral, you know, father or mother, you know. As soon as you're out of the womb, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a big fan of homeschooling, but I could almost see why maybe pastors homeschool their kids uh, yeah. because, again, it's not. It's specifically if you're in a small town, right, or a town that knows your your parent as a pastor. Yeah, if you're in a school setting, you're you're going to stand out like a beacon, like a lighthouse. That's and every little thing you do is somehow connected to the church, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not, you know, so you say we were raised in church, John, but you know, there were long periods of time where mom and dad didn't go to church. And so we were raised in church, but there were, there were times when we didn't go to church for, you know, for a good long time. Now, when mom and dad decided it was time to go back to church, then dad gummit, we were all going back to church. Yeah. Um, but there were, there were per- long periods of time, sometimes a year or two or more, I think, where we just, eh, we just didn't do it. And, uh, but I did the same, you know, I got into ministry, you know, in my twenties. And started having kids in my twenties, so my kids were raised that way. Mm, you know, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't the senior pastor, but I was on pastoral staff. I was, you know, I was either the worship leader, or I was something. So my kids grew up with that scrutiny of everything you do reflects on dad. Yeah, everything you do could potentially reflect back on me, whether positively or negatively. And so I know I I don't think I ever knowingly, but I know we put pressure on them to perform and behave a certain way because dad, you know, that dad's, dad's a pastor. You need to be, you need to act right. We, we've had many conversations over the years like, okay, I'm sorry about that. 
Like, yeah. you, <laughs> like you didn't need that. No kid needs that extra bit of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely see from and, and what you said about about your identity, you know, your your image of God being tied to a church structure. Uh, that was me too. Yeah. Um, so so deconstructing church was deconstructing God. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I don't, and to this day, I still have a hard time sort of divorcing those two things. I have, but it's not been easy. Yeah. So I can see that. I don't know if you experienced this or not, but for me, there was a, there was a, a grieving process. Yeah, know, for that sure. Had to happen. It was like because so because all of that stuff, all of those things that I had fixated on in my mind that that this is how this process was going to play out. All that stuff died, and then I had to come to terms with that loss. You know. So I, I'm, I'm, was that, is that a similar process for you? Do you feel like you, you know there were there were certain expectations how this was going to go? Finish with seminary, go become a pastor, and go live out your life, and you know those things don't quite work out the way they, that you had planned, right? And then all of a sudden there's that mess to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely there's definitely a major grieving process. It, it's hard to grieve, but it's better than the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and the alternative being persisting in something that just, just didn't wasn't a good fit, right? Exactly. Or something yeah. you didn't feel was authentic to you. Yeah, there was there was one point I wasn't a, a pastor of an actual church at the time. We were kind of dabbling in church planting, but we were going down to help um my in-laws with some medical issues and um they were still connected to my wife's church from her her teenage years. And um and so we would go with them to church whenever we went down to help them. And I finally, after like three or four times, I had to tell my wife, I'm like, I'm sorry, I, d- I can't go with you. Because every time I go, I morph into Reverend DeLong and I can't stand that guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, not him again, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that sort of come out in how you, like in like the way you talk to people or like sort of some sort of attitudes that, that come along with Reverend DeLong? I, mean, I, just, I just become super fake. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I understand that completely. Yeah. I'm yeah. not laughing because I think it's funny. I'm laughing because I, 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 I've done it. Yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate. You know, I have, I did not pastor as long as either one of you guys did, but I could see it even in the couple years I was doing it. There's definitely a, a mask you put on mm-hmm. because, you know, you have good days and bad days, but when you're standing in front of a church, you can't have bad days. Right. Yeah. yeah. You have to, you have to. So, you end up, even though you don't want to, you you kind of phone it in a little bit. I think we've talked about this in the past because you know music is more of a a connection for me. But there have been times where I've been playing worship music and I didn't feel any of it. Yeah, I mean there was you know I'm I'm doing these songs and I'm I'm playing the right chords, I'm singing the right notes, I'm not out of key, everything, I'm saying the right words. And at the end, I get this like someone will come up and say, you know, it was so moving and so great, and you're like, man, I was I wasn't even there. Yeah, yeah. I phoned yeah. all of that in. Yeah, I, I literally, that. yeah, I literally phoned that all in, and I and you feel so guilty. Yeah, because you feel like you're 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 just doing a sham, right? Yeah, and I, I would come home from from doing some church on Sundays and be just so like exhausted on on just another level, and um, I I was either told or I got the impression that that meant that that I had kind of not used my own strength and been used by God, and so is it was it was almost like 
I don't know. There's kind of this badge of honor. Like I'm exhausted because I, you know, I did the Lord's will today or whatever. Right, right. But no, it was just because I had to be fake for several hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was a, that was an hour and a half of me just lying to people. And I yeah. just don't think I could do it anymore. No, this Kim, uh, my wife and I planted a church about two years ago now. And uh, everything, everything has shifted for us, you know. But I do, even, even, even in the church plant in the very beginning, we were just doing the same thing we'd always done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We looked up about six months down the road. We're like, what are we doing this different? We were so desperate to get out of this situation to do something more authentic and real. And we looked up and we're like, we're just repeating, you know, the same patterns. Um, the only thing I'm thankful at all for COVID was that it forced us back on, it forced us to go online for a while. And then Kim and I out of, out of that, like re- we reassessed everything. Like, okay, what are we going to do this different? You know, because I was still, we, John and I had started this podcast and I was still in the back of my head, weirdly nervous that church members would find the podcast and find out that sometimes I, I said a bad word. I'm like, they're going to hear me say bullshit or say, you know, fuck or something. And go, I can't, I can't go to a church where the pastor sometimes says, fuck, what's, what's going on? And, uh, and, and, and at some point I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care. You know, if we're, yeah. you know, if we're really going to be authentic and true about who we are, then we can't, you know, I, I can't be, I, I just can't be worried about, you know, an, a four letter word here and there. If that's enough to offend somebody, they were already offended. They were going to probably go anyway. Yeah. And I have been, I tell you what, what has happened is for us, whatever little expression of church we have here, it's been way more life-giving in the last few months when we let go of the expectation that it would be something that it wasn't meant to be, um, that it could just be a place of, of real authenticity. So I encourage, I don't know what, what your plans are for the future, but this, this deconstruction thing that a lot of us are going down the rabbit hole in, um, if you let it, it can come out the other side looking, looking very different. You know, I'm not in any big yeah. way to reconstruct anything either, by the way. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, yeah. you know what? Let's just let it all kind of be where it is. But I'm interested in your podcast. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't even had a chance to check that out yet. So it's called the whole thing. Or that, or that whole thing. That whole thing. That, yeah, what's that about? Yeah, um, I, I haven't put out a lot of episodes lately. Like, man, this this pandemic has just been yeah. like exhausting. Like, I we're just you. yeah, just to, and and I know we all are. We're just exhausted on a whole other level. I mean, my my aim for it is to really just dive into anything that can help us experience wholeness, and. Of course, that's a very broad topic because there's so many different things that can help. You know, that can be, you know, spirituality, that can be relationships, that can be talking about, you know, systemic justice. Like, I mean, that's a whole lot of things. But um, I, I, I think wholeness is what we're meant for. It's what we're all after. And I, I think there's a lot of different aspects of us finding that. But yeah, so I, I just, you know, I talked to a a lot of different people, um, different authors, different people I know. I'm, I'm hoping soon to... Um, I went to New York a few months ago and, and met this lady that she talks about uncovering the myth of the other and, and how we, we make people, others, like different from us. And, and we, we other other people, but then we also kind of other ourselves, like we separate ourselves from ourselves and just really powerful stuff. And I think it's something we're all looking for. Yeah. I, um, you know, we, as we started our podcast, I think Nat and I had the same idea, but one of the things actually that I've come across a few times is the, the title of our podcast, This Is Not Church, even though I'm saying this is not church, uh, the word church is in it, right? So there is a little bit of a, there's a hurdle sometimes because I reach out to people who aren't church people. 
Yeah. And so yeah. I find that I have to explain what I mean when I, when Nat and I say unchurchy conversations about church, because I think church is anywhere that you can, you can, uh, connect with other people, with, yeah. with the universe, with the, with nature, with, with the divine, whatever you want to call it. So I feel like when I'm reaching out to some people, sometimes I have like, okay, so we don't just talk about Christian church, uh, because there's so much more to talk about. Then, mm-hmm. and so like the conversation we're going to have that's going to come up soon is, you know, a little bit about a church, but mostly about, you know, racial injustice and, and, and social injustice, right? Because I think that's such a huge connection. So with your podcast, uh, uh, are you trying to reach out to like similar type of people or are you, um, are you trying to like put a Christian overtone on anything or is this more just like a broad, just reaching out to people and getting their, their, their perspective on life in general? Yeah, I, I think it'll turn to be a little bit more broad. It's, yeah. it's mostly been authors from the Christian perspective. Right. Um, and I, like I said, like Christ still makes sense to me, but like Christ right. is so much bigger than like church or Christianity or, you know, Christ is, I mean, Christ is the indwelling life, like in everybody. That's one thing that I discovered that was so lacking from my church experience is that we didn't understand, you know, we talked about, Advent and the Incarnation, but we didn't really like, I don't know, in my experience, it was like, well, Jesus became human because he had, he had something specific to do. He had to die for our right. sins. And right. like, well, no, he, he became human. So on another level, he was united with all of us. For me, it comes down to Christ, but Christ is universal. And so it doesn't matter what, what perspective, religious or social or whatever, like you, you still have, you still have some wisdom of Christ to speak to other people. No, it's very true. They, uh, that, that rings true. I, I read, uh, Richard Rohr's book, Universal Christ. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, that was such a, that was such an interesting, interesting take on that. And it's really interesting. The other thing that's interesting, and I've said the word interesting like five times now. So <laughs> what's also very interesting. Jeez, what's wrong with this guy? Um, C.S. Lewis talked, you know, a great line. I, I loved, I love the pull out quotes of Lewis, um, because he's such a sort of darling of, of the evangelical world. I know, right? Yeah. But he wasn't really. And, yeah. and John and I have had made, we've made this observation a couple of times that, that C.S. Lewis was always much more sort of candid in his letters than he ever was in his, in his, in his official works, right? Yeah. And so yeah. some of these quotes that you see that float around the talk, I have my one, one of my favorites is when he talks about, you know, it is Jesus and not the Bible is the true word of God. And it's like, <gasps> you know, my evangelical friends freak out. And, uh, yeah. but you know, they're like, where did that quote come from? Well, it came from a letter, you know, but I, there's, there's places where he's spoken about this universality of Christ, where he's hinted at least that he's open to the idea that, that Christ is not exclusively Christian. Yeah. You know, he doesn't exclusively belong to this denomination or this church. And yeah. you know, if, if the truth of, of, of Christ is, is true, if the truth is true, wow, that's amazing. Well done, sir. Um, <laughs> but if the point was the redemption of humanity, then he can't be limited and confined to some, you know, one particular structure. So um, that's been really liberating for me. You know, it's, it's allowed me um, to approach ministry uh, differently. It's allowed me to approach people differently, you know, because yeah. you know how it was growing up as a, as a pastor's kid and growing up in the church, you know, um, I remember this being a thing. We were supposed to befriend the unbeliever with the intention of converting them though. There was always yeah. an ulterior motive. This was like, sort yeah. of like friendship evangelism. It was all, you know, like, Hey, go out and, you know, make a friend with somebody who's, and then, and then, and then invite them to church, work on them and start sharing the gospel with them, do the things you have to do. But I'm like, um, that always felt so um, bait and switch to me. You know what I mean? Hey, I want to be your friend, but really it's just 
Um, it's just a pretense. So yeah. I can try to indoctrinate you into my way of thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was actually just, as y'all were talking, I was kind of flipping through your podcast, man, just to see who you'd, who you'd had. On. You've had some cool people on, man. Yeah, I've been uh, pretty fortunate. Man, Brian McLaren. I love Brian McLaren almost got me fired. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to have him on the podcast someday so I can tell him the story about when uh, I, I had just read a, a generous orthodoxy mm. and I was just blown away. You know, I mean, I'm still like deeply evangelical at this point on staff in a, in a very evangelical, um, right wing kind of conservative fundamentalist church. And I just read this book and my mind is just, yes, this is great. And I gave it to my pastor to read. I'm like, you need to check this out. It's really good. And then he was yeah. like, he came back a couple of days later. He's like, this is the kind of crap you're reading. Like, <laughs> like maybe, yeah. maybe this isn't the place for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I just sort of slunk away, but man, you've had, and Actually, it was cool because we've, 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 uh, looks like we've, we've crossed similar paths. You've had Matt mm-hmm. Stefano on and Carl Forehand. Um, yeah. I'm looking at Kate Giles a couple of times. So yeah, we've, we've been treading some of the same water. There's some, there's a, damn, Brian McLaren's a good catch, man. That's a, that must have been a good conversation. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, he was, yeah, really gracious. And he actually endorsed my, my novel, Becoming Home. And he, uh, I, I almost failed one of my seminary classes because of him. So. Really? <laughs> <laughs> now no, you have to tell that story. How'd that go? <laughs> yeah. So basically, it was um, it was talking about uh, like cross cultural ministry, and the basic premise of my paper was that you know because in, in seminary ministry, I'm sure I'm sure you experience this. It's all about well the the message never changes, but but the but the method changes. Sure, but the message yeah. always stays the same. And one of the things that Brian talks about is, yeah, but your what you think the message is is contingent upon your cultural understanding. And because yeah. we're because we're transitioning from modernism to postmodernism, our message is going to be different because we have a different cultural perspective we're coming from. Yeah, and they're like, you can't change the message. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 I like what you said. I mean, your perspective of that message does change. I mean, even if you and I don't even agree that the message doesn't change necessarily, but but certainly your perspective of it does. I know mine yeah. mine has. I mean, it's done a complete yeah. 180 in some certain some places. And the other thing is that I find that sometimes if you'd asked me ten years ago what I thought the gospel was, I would give a wholly different answer than I would give you now. Oh yeah, you know, it, I would have just spat out some atonement theory. You know, yeah. I've been like, well, oh, you know, yeah. well, the gospel <laughs> is that God was really pissed at us, and you know, he he had to punish the sin, and blah, blah, blah. you know, I, I would just give you, I would, I would have just given you a penal substitutionary atonement theory. You know, yeah. as, as best I understood it, that's the gospel. God was mad. Jesus made him happy. Everything is good. Yeah. That's a shit gospel. That's it. <laughs> For God so hated the world that he sent his only son to get beat to hell on our behalf. Yeah, to write yeah. John three sixteen all over again, but um. But yeah, and I, and I don't even know if you, I, I'm, I could articulate it the way I feel like it is now, but I bet you in five or 10 years, I would articulate it differently again. I mean, it's just based on experience and whatever else we've uncovered. But And it's funny because I, I, I know growing up in the, in the church environment that I did, like success and faithfulness meant like what, what the kind of person that you are and what you believe right now will be the same in 40 years. Like that, yeah, like yeah. that, that was seen as success and faithfulness. And it's like, Wow, if you're if, if you're not, that sounds like stagnation. Yeah, it does. It, it, that's what it is. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny you say that because I had this conversation with a friend who I was was my pastor at one point, and um, and that was the conversation we had. And we're similar in age. He's maybe a year or two younger than me, and and we he was getting a little tired. I could tell of of all the conversations we were having about me questioning things and 
So he got a little derisive towards the end of it where he would, we would meet to have coffee or lunch and he'd be like, all right, well, what are we, what are we, what are we questioning now? You know, what, what, what's on, what are we, what are we, what are we deconstructing today? And I'm like, all of it, dude, all of it. And I, and I genuinely asked, like, don't you, doesn't any of this interest you? Doesn't, don't you, don't, don't you ever ask these kinds of questions? Like, oh no, I've believed what I believe for the last 30 years and it's not mm-hmm. going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, well, there you have it. Then there's no, yeah. then I don't know why we're having these conversations because you're, you're, you're content. The answers that you have arrived at make sense to you now. Come find me when they no longer make sense. Because at some point, I can almost guarantee, unless you just willingly stick your head in the sand, we all, I think we all get to a point where the answers we've arrived at, and they just don't work anymore. Yeah. And if we're honest, yeah. who was it they kept talking about intellectual honesty, John? Um, um, is that Jonathan Foster? Or is it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that, 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 that concept of intellectual, um, was it intellectual honesty or intellectual, yeah. intellectual just kept coming up, you know, like saying, okay, if you're being intellectually honest, you have to admit that there are some things here that don't make sense. And, and, you know, I guess you have the ability to just ignore them and move on. But the cognitive dissonance it creates, uh, man, it just ends up being exhausting. And you know what I mean? I, I know yeah, you know that to be yeah. true. So, so the book you wrote though, the one, so it was, I didn't realize it was a novel. Let's talk about, let's talk about the book. Is that Becoming Home is a novel? Yeah. Is it a work of fiction then? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it. We've only had a couple of people on here who've, who've, who've done that kind of work. So, yeah, talk us through that a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, so just it it kind of offers a unique approach um, to portraying what the inner journey the inner journey looks like, particularly when it comes to embracing our inner child and and learning self acceptance. And um, I'm really happy to see that readers have a lot of readers have remarked kind of along the same lines that it's it's impacted their own ability to kind of look inside. And so what the 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 book has two layers to it. It's it's the the everyday life of the main character and um, him, you know, kind of having to like rethink things himself and 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 not even just rethink things, but find find um, like face trauma and and pain in side pain inside himself that he had been trying to avoid, but now he has to because things are kind of falling apart. And so there's that everyday journey, but then there's another layer where there's another character that portrays what it feels like for what it feels like to be him on the inside and so on, on the inside he's portrayed as this like isolated woodsman that just wants to be away from everybody for for a variety of reasons and um, is is really separated from himself um, is really separated from relationships because he's secluded himself and so along the journey you see healing of the main character like in everyday life you know him healing relationships, going to therapy, kind of learning more about himself. But then you, and the the underlying journey, you see his inner self kind of learn what it means to like be reconciled to his whole self. Part of that came out because I remember one time I was with my therapist and, you know, they, they have to ask periodically like, you know, how's your depression level? Do you have thoughts of suicide? And And I told him, I was like, I don't ever think of killing myself. I, I do fantasize about just vanishing one day and just just going to some small town in the middle of nowhere where nobody knows me and just being alone the rest of my life. Because sometimes that, that just feels easier than having to face myself and having to face, you know, the dynamics of relationships that I'm in. Um, it just feels easier just to ignore it all. 
but that that never really works. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but the temptation is understandable. Yeah, I do have a copy of your book, and I, I had every intention of digging into it this week, but yeah, the week just got like way away from me. So yeah, I, I get it. It is on my it is on my stack of things to get to because I really, really, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued now more than I was before. I didn't realize it was a novel, and I, I'm I'm always intrigued by people who can do that. You know what I mean? Guys like me can sit down and write, you know, or try to write nonfiction about theology and God. And I think it's, a, it's such an art form to weave that into a story well. And I read through uh, Brandon Anders' book and he did a similar job of, of, in a work of fiction, you know, bringing all these cool themes out. It's really good, but um, reminiscent of something that like Paul Young would do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I've actually had like several people tell me it, it's been reminiscent of the shack um, okay. to them. Kind of, kind of the, and I, I actually did, I put a few things in there that that if you if you've if you're familiar with the shack, you'll recognize them as kind of like like shout outs to Paul Young, right. <laughs> um, because his his stuff has been so impactful on me. But yeah. Um, but yeah, to have people say it reminds them of that is obviously an enormous compliment. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I know because I, I know you know I know he's not the first one to do that. Yeah, but yeah. man, he just did it so damn well. You know, he did yeah. it so well that um, in fact, uh, when I finally did. Uh, it, it was a book that everyone... I have this sort of contrary nature. Um, John can t- attest to this. Um, <laughs> so when everybody's saying, you need to read this book, like the last thing I'm going to do is read that book. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? Oh, man, oh, it's the best book. But oh, you know what? I'm probably going to hate it. And so I didn't read it for a long time. Never well, mind. you're, you're just in the wrong environment because right. <laughs> otherwise they would have been like, don't read this book. <laughs> yeah. Now, if everyone had said, whatever you do, this is heretical, don't touch it, I'd have read it the first day. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, yeah. And I would have... Yeah, absolutely. But everybody in my circle was like, oh, man, this is such... You know, and my wife was one who was like, oh, this is a great book. You love this. But and the other part of it was that I had two... You know, I have two girls. And uh, they were pretty young at the time. And, oh, yeah. and once I found out the subject matter of the, at least the beginning of that book, yeah. I'm like, nah. Yeah, I'm not going to put myself sense. through yeah. that. Yeah, my, my, my funny connection to The Shack is, well, so The Shack was written while I was not in church at all, right? I wasn't even thinking about church. Um, I had left the church so long ago. And I, it, it popped up, I think. And I, I honestly, to be perfectly honest, I thought it was another book like The Secret. Yeah, mm, I did too. That's yeah. so... So I was like, it's just going to be stupid. And then I found myself back in a church, a uh, local Calvary Chapel church. And someone gave me a copy. I don't remember who or how I ended up. And I just ended up reading the whole thing. And I'm like, this is just the best thing I've ever read. So I go right to my pastor and I'm telling him about this book that I just read. Like, it's the newest thing, right? Like, I'm the only one who knows about it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, he, and he's, being, he's being really polite, not saying anything. And uh, it was probably six months before he finally was like, hey, you, you know what? Um, uh, I don't like that book. I don't believe in that. <laughs> that book is a bad book. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I'm glad that you found it. I'm glad that you like it, but it's, it's theology is all messed up and you really need to rethink what you're, you know, what you're reading here. And please, this wasn't said, but it was like the undertone was, please just don't bring this book into our church. Don't talk to people in our church about this book. So that was, and I was just kind of blown away because I didn't, I didn't think it was that heretical, really, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Um, and just to have, and then to find out as I'm reaching out to other people within a small faith community, how many people hated it. Yeah. But had never read it. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, was yeah always exactly. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Like, so, so when did you read it? Well, I haven't read it. I just know it's garbage. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Well, and, and the, the fact that so many people who did read it in the church got, 
offended by what they thought of as theology. Right. Like if, if if you think of if you think of that as just pure theology, like if that's if that's all you get from it, then you you have never gone to the depths apparently like the author has. Right. And that's yeah, that's that's very true. And I think I think the people that resonate with that book at all, I mean, and I think that's very, very many of us, by the way, or any of us who've had any kind of emotional trauma. You yeah. Know? And you either even if you just take it at face value. And it's just the story of a guy trying to make sense of a senseless tragedy. Yeah. Um, even on that level, I mean, that makes sense. Um, if you dig deeper and you realize, you know, we've talked to Paul a couple of times and um, we know that that's really his story, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, it, that, that's his story of childhood trauma. It's his story of the shame that he carried, um, all the stuff that, that, that broke him, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and taught him to be a chameleon and taught him to perform and to, you know, seek acceptance in other ways. And you see that and you go, okay, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, the theology I think is spot on actually. Um, but I don't think it's ever been first and foremost, a book of theology. Um, oh, yeah. I, I like what Baxter Kruger did with it when he went and when he did go and write the companion book for it Yeah, yeah. and then go, okay, yeah. Okay. You, let me, let me show you why this is actually Orthodox, historic, apostolic. Yeah, yeah. And actually what was really cool was to my understanding, Paul hadn't done any real formal training. Um, so a lot of what he just, a lot of what he stumbled upon, he just intuited you know, and I think yeah. that blew Baxter was like, okay, a guy with no real seminary training, not that uh, he had education, obviously, but somebody who hadn't gone to school, like Baxter had gone to school for, had intuited all of this stuff about, he's like, oh, you're actually articulating this very well. This is Irenaeus. This is Athanasius. This is yeah. you know, down the line. He's like, this is, this is not heretical, you know, and my favorite line that Baxter ever says is, and I'll paraphrase, it's something to the effect of, um, we've preached a false gospel for so long that when the true gospel is preached, we think it's heretical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, or we've gone, or uh, has this been your experience too? My experience has been that in the evangelical world that I grew up in, church history wasn't taught. And so yeah, we didn't well, know anything yeah. about anything prior to the Reformation. You know what I mean? Like well, church that's the, history that's the began, thing, yeah. you know, with Calvin and Zwingli. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is if we did talk about history, that's as far back as it went. Yeah. Yeah, so for us, Luther was man, boom! Everything started in you know whatever you know whatever he nailed his his uh, his his treatise you know on the door of yeah. the church. But um, but then I started hearing these names, and it was actually, um, gosh, I can't remember who it was now. Might have been might have been Baxter Kruger. Um, I was reading through his book, the Jesus Jesus and the Undoing of Adam. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know if you do this, but when I read books, that when people name drop authors, I go, I start making a list of okay, I guess mm-hmm. I need to check yep. that book out. Okay, check that book out. He starts quoting. And next thing I know, I'm I'm digging into the patristics. I'm digging into the church fathers. And I'm going, oh, look at all this really heretical stuff that was said, <laughs> you know, 1800 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, who are the real heretics now? So it's an it's an interesting exercise, right? Yeah. So that's cool, man. I, um, and that's that's not your first book. That's your that's your second book or third book. That's my second. Yeah. Second yeah, book. I, okay. I I wrote um a book called There's a God in My Closet uh, that came out about three years ago. Okay. Man, that's that's cool. I uh, I'm assuming those are all available in the in the places where people buy books. 
Yep, on um, Amazon, um, on my my website, uh, bedelong.com. Um, I I did notice that becoming home is down to like nine dollars on Amazon, so oh. it's it's hard to hard to beat that. Let me grab it <laughs> quick, quick, quick. Yeah. yeah. Any plans to uh, to do like an audible recording? Yeah, that's that's in the very beginning stages. Yeah, we're, we're definitely working towards that. That's cool, man. I don't know about you, John, and I consume a lot of audio books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lot, you know, just trying to do stuff on the fly is like all right. So yeah, definitely. I know that. I have several in my list that I'm listening to as we speak. But um, matter of fact, I'm listening to one right now. Hang on. <laughs> no, I'm got to put Brad Jersak on pause for a second. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to kind of bring it back to your book for just a second. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh-huh. um, and I, it's a it's kind of in lines with Paul Young. Is like I um, I believe that your book is somewhat auto autobiographical. In a, but in a fictional way, kind of like Paul Young, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is your story, but written from a fictionalized character, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So was, was that more freeing or was that harder to do? Uh, the process was very hard. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, just digging it, digging into that stuff. And it, it wouldn't be as hard today, um, because I've, I've done a lot more, you know, growth and, therapy and stuff but yeah it was it was hard but but it was definitely freeing too um yeah i i was i was kind of skimming through through the book myself just to kind of remind myself of the the where the chapters are placed and everything and um yeah it it still hits me like i i, I read a line today and i started tearing up because it, it, yeah. it's still just like it's like yep this this is real this is true yeah but did you find that it was easier to write it about someone that technically wasn't you uh, so you're almost putting your trauma onto someone else, or was that even in a weird way harder to do? Because now you're you're pulling it all up, right? You're talking about it, you're re, you're kind of revisiting it, and then you're also kind of dropping it on somebody else in a kind of a weird way, right? Yeah, it was it was definitely challenging to um, you know again challenging, but but good to kind of take some of the trauma that I that I experienced and then get get down to the bottom okay foundationally why was this trauma so impactful right um and then how how could this how could that impact be fleshed out in trauma a different way for somebody else yeah which which was difficult but but then it does it gets you to the bottom of like oh this is this is why this is why the, this was impactful and it you know the 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 heart of of the book is the main character encountering and and accepting his inner child and that that was the foundation of my trauma is that when when i when i experienced trauma i blamed myself for it and i abandoned myself and basically was like i like i'm i'm going to I'm going to do away with you because you're just getting me in trouble. And then to come back, you know, decades later as an adult and do therapy and spiritual direction and realize that none of that was true, you know, and that, you know, adults were projecting their own stuff onto me. Um, but when you're a kid, it's like, well, the adults know best, you know? <laughs> and so you just right. kind of like, yeah. well, if they're messing up, they're, they're perfect. So it must be my fault. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but that that's the heart of it. It's just learning to accept yourself. And 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 I think I think that's something we all wrestle with at some point. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, and the other the other side of that coin too, especially I would imagine as being a, a pastor's kid, you experience this to some degree, is I my view of pastors was skewed towards them being borderline infallible. 
Oh yeah. Like like yeah. you wouldn't be in the pulpit if you didn't have the authority. And, and they reminded us all the time that they had that they spoke with the authority of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that they were the experts and that we weren't. And so yeah, I was coming to terms with some of this recently. I'm like, why did I you know, my deconstruction started kind of late in life because really I just I just I don't know why. I just believed it. You know, I believed yeah, what they told me. Yeah. Even if it didn't make sense to me, like what you just said made sense to me because I'm thinking, well, it must be me. I mm-hmm. must just not be understanding this well enough. And I'll just, you know. So yeah, I, yeah. So to question what I was being taught was to question um, everything. It was yeah. to question the structures I'd even grown up with. And, and then, you know, going into ministry helps because it doesn't take long before you figure out that those guys don't know much. Yeah. You know, not to be derisive. I mean, honestly, it'd be, I, I would, that's not a knock. It's just the truth, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would be fine um, if they were honest about it. Yeah. You know, and, and just say, listen, I'm, I'm like you. I'm on a journey. I'm trying to figure this out. Let's figure this out together. Yeah. But they've bought the lie too that they're yeah. supposed to be authoritative and that they're supposed to be subject matter experts and all this stuff. And it really pains people that I've, the, the, the pastors that I've worked for, it's difficult for them to admit that they don't know something. Yeah. Um, and rather yeah. than admit that, they, they'd rather do the mental gymnastics or or even play the trump card of, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm the pastor, just go with me on this. You know, and I'm like, yeah, at some point that, that just that just doesn't play anymore, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've heard you guys mention, and I think it's so important that, you know, talking about you, you don't have an ax to grind with like any one person. No, absolutely not. And there's, there, there are some cases where, where people, people use this stuff in an abusive manner, but for the most part, it's just, we're all caught up in a system. Yeah. I've, I try very hard to, to see. Now, there's some that I don't care about. You know, I don't care. I'll call them out. You know, John Piper can go suck an egg. I don't care about that. Dude. <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. I love you, John Piper. And now we have to have puppies kicked three or four times. But, but there are those. I don't mind calling out people with platforms. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I'm not yeah. calling out the pastor in my town who's my friend who I think gets it wrong, um, who I think is a genuinely nice guy and is trying his very best. Who's like yeah. you said, he's working in the same system that I worked in and he... You know, he's a victim of that same system as well. Yeah. Right. And then there are those who I feel like more, they're a little more nefarious. You know what I mean? I think they're a little more culpable than, than some, especially when they have large platforms and their influence is big and they use that influence to peddle an image of God that is ugly and monstrous. And, you know, so I don't mind it. Like I said, I, I the only names that we ever drop on a regular basis are, are poor, poor John Piper, who doesn't give a rip, who has no idea who we are, so he can take it. Um, maybe Mark Driscoll, he, he can also likewise go, you know, maybe disappear somewhere. But um, <laughs> but there are those who, but, but I agree with you. By and large, yeah, I don't have, I don't, I don't. In fact, I don't really have an Instagram with those guys either. I just, I really, when I critique them, I'm critiquing their ideology. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and I think that's fair game. I've had some people like, you know, if I whatever you say something maybe less than complimentary about somebody or about someone, something they've said, you know, mm-hmm. and well, why are you picking on so-so? I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm telling you that their ideas are fair game though. Yeah. You know what I mean, you put yeah. that stuff out in the public square and, um, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel free to critique the things you say and, and the things that you do that are harmful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm not calling out him as a bad person. I'm not saying, God doesn't love him. No, of course not. That's that silliness. But but neither does he get a pass. To a certain extent, that's our that's kind of our responsibility. When when these celebrity preachers or pastors, whatever you want to call them, 
when they start spouting off stuff that's legitimately harmful yeah. to people, yeah. uh, you have to call that shit out. You have to. I mean, and um, if they're 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 big enough, they can handle it. Well, obviously, sometimes they can't. I think that's the problem. But we can't s- sit silently by as they are spouting out ideologies and theologies that's literally literally killing people. That's when I'm like, okay, yeah, this has to be spoken. And that's, you know, like by and large, what we're seeing on Twitter and what we're seeing on Facebook and what we're seeing in all these social media places are these celebrity pastors that are, that are saying this crap. The downside is that, you know, there are some smaller churches kind of repeating this shit. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's, that's where, you know, we're not going to hear about that, but the congregation hears that. And that's where the congregation needs to step up and say, Hey, no, we can't. This this isn't good. This is this is this is hurting people, and that's again. I think it's a lack of education on, on a lot of uh, people within the church, and they are kind of just parroting sometimes things they hear that just yeah. sound it's it's ear candy, right? It just sounds the way it's all put together. It just sounds so good. I'm just going to repeat this, and you know, we uh, yeah, I, I I agree with both of you. I'm not I'm not here to call out any local pastors. I think they all went into this with good hearts with ideas of helping people, but inside their echo chamber, sometimes things are just missed. Well, and I don't wonder, you know, Ben, if, if maybe, if maybe they didn't go into ministry for some of the same reasons you, you feel like you did. Yeah. You know I was, I mean? that, like, that's like, what I was just thinking. Yeah. Cause I mean, we, we all, we all do things that 10 years later we're like, you know, and, we're like, why did we do that? Oh, we did that because we were like, we were just hurting and, and we yeah. had no idea. We had no idea why we did things. We just, we were trying to find ways to cope, you know? And, well, and, and ministry is one of those things that's, that's actually kind of hard to, to extricate yourself from. Oh, yeah, you know very I mean? much. So. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's one of the hardest, especially if you're vocational. You yeah. Know? I mean, if you are, yeah. if you are in vocational ministry, leaving that position, that's not an easy thing. You know, there, I don't, yeah. I don't know of many jobs where, we're leaving a post or leaving a position carries so much baggage with it. You know, there's so yeah. much, you know, people, you know, so many hurt feelings and, you know, people's expectations hadn't been met. And um, yeah. there's just a lot, there's just a lot. It's not, it, you know, it's, you can quit Starbucks tomorrow and be like, okay, well, I'll just go get another job down yeah. the street. No big yeah. deal. People don't tend to like get really pissed with you when you leave. Um, yeah. But you step out of ministry and all of a sudden people are like, well, what's wrong? Yeah, like like like, what's going on? Are you, aren't you a Christian anymore? You know, they, they start to question all the reasons why you're leaving. It's like, I just I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's 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 a baggage that comes from leaving that, but then it's also if if that's your main vocation, I mean that those those uh, job responsibilities don't transfer really well to a lot of other jobs. <laughs> so like, what what are you what are you gonna do? Like, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I I guess if you could find a job where you listen to people gripe all day, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, have to, I was just thinking you have to kind of start like putting down your job skills in, in terms of like running a corporation. Well, I, you know, hey, I managed a budget of this many. Yeah, many yeah. In my case, it would be I manage a church budget of literally hundreds of dollars a year. <laughs> <laughs> literally. I have, I have, I have literally dozens of congregants in my church every week. Um, uh, it, awesome. it cracks me up when people. I used to get. I guess I used to get accused of of you know preaching a uh, an ear tickling message. You know, uh, yeah. No, and no, actually, most people don't like what I have to say. <laughs> or we'd be packing them in the house, man. Yeah. We uh we have a relatively small group of people who can tolerate that, that we're pushing the boundaries on some stuff. But but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're right. Those job skills don't 
You know, they don't really, I'm not even sure they'd help you get a job at Starbucks. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know unless you had a little coffee shop inside your church, go, hey, hey, I, I actually am a barista as well as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it's actually similar to a, it reminds me a lot of my friends who left the military, you know, um, oh, depending yeah. on what they did in the military. You know, if you were, you know, if you were in the army and you were an infantryman, you came out knowing how to shoot a gun. Right. Yeah. Okay. And law enforcement, that's pretty much, you know, yeah. that, that might be, you know, so a lot of those guys gravitate towards jobs where those, but those, some of those guys just find themselves, you know, kind of in that no man's land of like, okay, I don't really have any applicable skills here. What yeah. do I do, you know, as a former soldier? I think former soldiers and former pastors might have a lot in common. Yeah. Um, like, okay, how does this translate? But, yeah, like you said, unless you can find a job, you bartender. I think you mentioned listening to people gripe all day. Oh, long. maybe yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think retired or um or or just burnout pastors would make great bartenders, man. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me make you a Manhattan. Tell me about your day, man. I'm really good. Yeah, at listening. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> at least in that case, you'd have a, a you know at least a potential solution to their problem. Here's some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, and, I'm joking. Uh, I'm joking. It was a joke. Go ahead. <laughs> of course, this is kind of a cynical <laughs> comment, but but right? they, they'd probably be legitimate problems too. Like not oh, like man. like oh, I, I'm I'm really frustrated with the color of our carpet or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, thank God! I don't I don't have those kinds of issues now. But no, I, back in other churches I've worked in, yeah, I yeah, I, who was it? Oh, I remember I remember being someplace and. Um, they were really, really upset that we were letting people drink coffee in the sanctuary because we just got new carpet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we were having like legit, like like hard conversations about whether or not to let congregants continue to bring their coffee in the sanctuary. And I'm like, really? This is what we're this is what we're talking about? Like, there's there's a whole city of people outside our doors that are hurting and needing stuff, and we're concerned about whether someone's going to spill coffee on this carpet. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm, priorities need to shift, man. Yeah, <laughs> but that is amazing. Hey, I I hate to be that guy, but I do have a I do have to get out of here, Ben. Ah, man, what a, I love the conversation. I, I yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't forget, check out the website. You said bedelong.com, is that right? Bedelong.com. All right, yep. bedelong.com, and also books available on Amazon. I'm sure wherever fine books are sold. Um, make sure and get you a copy while it's still only nine something on Amazon. That's what a deal. Run. Yeah, it's hard walk, to beat that. Run, don't walk. <laughs> um, keep up with what, what with what Ben's going to be doing because I'm sure he's going to be doing some really awesome stuff in the future if you find yourself out in Ukiah someday uh, yeah. <laughs> does anybody just sort of stumble upon Ukiah you know, uh, just drive they, past it on the highway if they want some really cheap weed yeah yeah, that's what, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually resisted making the weed joke and uh, you went there that's good I love it um, hum, is that still hum, that's not Humble County right that's a uh, that's, no, uh, but it's it's part of the Emerald Triangle, though. Yeah, it is. is it, what county are you in? Is that Sonoma Mendocino, County? Mendocino. 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 That's right. Okay, so uh, yeah. Well, you're you're humbled adjacent anyway. Um, yeah, I get you, I, I get you close I, enough. I tell people we need to start a game show for when they come to Ukiah called uh, Weed or Skunk. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you they're wrong more than they're right. <laughs> oh yeah, I was, yeah. I was I was actually at my uh, somewhere yesterday in San Angelo, and I and I was like, oh man, weed. Someone's smoking weed, and I looked down, I was a dead skunk. I'm like, oh, no, I'm a dead skunk. <laughs> so I would have failed that one that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Hey, I appreciate you being on the the podcast, Ben. Man, it was a lot of fun. Um, Look forward to to hearing what you're doing in the future. And uh, best of luck to you, man. John? Yeah, for sure. My brother, my homie. Peace. Peace out. 
Thank you, guys. I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.